Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program today. My guest is Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. Rick, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. It's good to be here. Let me set a little context for our discussion. Federal agencies spend more than $13 billion a year on cybersecurity. A big chunk of that goes for people, whether federal employees or contractors. But we know that there aren't enough qualified workers with cyber expertise. And agencies are required under the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2016, which included provisions called the Federal Cybersecurity Workforce Assessment Act of 2015, to submit a baseline assessment of their existing cybersecurity workforce. So far, the results are not good. Two examples let me show you, Rick. The Energy, Department surveyed two, the Energy Department surveyed 624 IT or cybersecurity employees and found 281, or about 45%, held, quote-unquote, the appropriate industry-recognized certifications as identified under the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education. Over at GSA, the General Services Administration, they surveyed 38 IT or cyber workers and found 19, or about 50%, had those certifications that the NICE program requires. So agencies and really all organizations, how can they make up for not having enough of this hard-to-find cyber talent. Well, many agencies are looking toward the assortment of tools from vendor the community like Palo Alto Networks. But as we've seen time again, the tools have a hard time keeping up with the threats, especially as networks change to include more and more cloud and mobile devices. Agencies need to figure out how to stay ahead of the threats. If not, they need to limit the damage by a successful attack and be resilient to their mission. So how can agencies do that? Well, that's why Rick Howard's here from Palo Alto Networks to, to help get our discussion started. So when we talk about workforce, we talk about people, and then we also includes the tools. So how do we kind of mesh this all together and, and what's missing from this equation, Rick? Well, that's about, I think I can just solve all those problems in like one minute. So no, my, my pleasure to do so. Let's just talk about the tool set for a second. It'd be interesting to just kind of go through how we got here. I mean, you laid it out very nicely what the problem is, but there are reasons why we are here and the reason that the industry is changing. You know, this all started back in the 90s when the internet came online for commerce and business. It was right when uh, eBay came online. We got SSL certificates, you know, all around that time frame. And right about then, organizations started hiring people like me to uh, protect their enterprise. I call them network defenders. Uh, and it was right about that time when bad guys decided they could probably make a profit, you know, by utilizing the same space. So it all came together right about then. And we all had, oh, two or three best practices that emerged. Okay, and one of them was vendor in depth, meaning got to have different vendors for every product we have because we don't trust a single vendor. Best to breed, meaning uh, we're going to evaluate all these tools, make sure we pick the very best one and whatever the greatest and latest shiny object is, we're going to buy that one. And the third one is really, you know, complexity is the enemy. Whatever we decide, we need to make it as simple as possible. And what emerged as a philosophy was uh, something called defense in depth. And, you know, uh, when we told our bosses about defense in depth, we said, geez, it's uh, these overlapping concentric circles of security tools that if one fails and the other one will pick up and we'll keep the bad guys out of our network. And that sounded good when you said it fast, but as the mature, as the adversaries matured, uh, they managed to figure out ways to get around all of that stuff. But we didn't really have anything else, so we used defense in depth. What we really did, though, when we said you know, massively overlapping concentric circles, what we really installed was three tools. You know, We all had a firewall, we all had an intrusion detection system, and we all had an antivirus, and that's what we called defense in depth. And you know, mature adversaries just kind of ran circles around us. That changed in 2010. It, uh, Lockheed Martin wrote a white paper about cyber kill chains. 
Uh, and it completely uh, disrupted the industry for how network defenders try to protect their environments, how vendors you know, sell products to those guys. Because instead of just overlapping concentric circles, we needed to build tools for every place in the cyber kill chain. And what I mean by that, cyber kill chain adversary has to do some various things to be successful at their mission. They need to recon a victim's network to look for weaknesses. They have to deliver a tool that takes uh, uh, leverages those weaknesses. They have to establish a beachhead on an endpoint somewhere that they own. They usually establish a command and control channel that allows them to d- download more malicious tools. They go lateral in the networks looking for the data they came to steal and destroy. And then they exfiltrate the data if that's what they're trying to do. That's sort of the kill chain. And what the cybersecurity vendor community did was provide tools at every one of those spots. So today, instead of just three tools that we have to manage, small organizations, I'm talking about, you know, mom and pop shops have 15 to 20 security tools. Medium-sized companies have 50 to 60. You know, in large-scale organizations like big governments and, you know, financials, they're, they're managing over 200 tools, just security tools in their environments. And there's two dirty secrets that the vendors don't like to talk about. One is that we make you manage all of that, okay? Uh, we don't help you do that. And the other one is your staffs did not get any bigger, okay? So you had the same number of people trying to manage 20 or 50 or 200 tools that you are struggling to do when you only had three tools out there. So that is the reason we have this problem. And the traditional solution has been for us, network defenders, to throw people at it. And we've reached the point where that doesn't work anymore. And so what's happened is the industry has come to terms with this, and it's this idea of something called automatic orchestration. Have you heard about this before, Jason? I have, and and it's funny because I almost started my beginning with this. I have one word for you, and it's automation. But I chose not to because I knew you talk about it somehow. (laughs) I figured I wouldn't want to steal your thunder. Well, I appreciate that, right? And so what's happening is the vendors have realized that it's too hard to do. And so, and what has emerged as the solution is the cybersecurity platform, a box that does most of the things that we just talked about, those 15 to 20 tools or 50 or 200 tools, a single box that does most of them as one part of it. And the second part of it is uh, vendors doing the integration with the, with the tools that it doesn't own inside the box so that the customer doesn't have to do it themselves. So what I'm saying is the evolution of our industry is we're, gonna, we're getting rid of those best practices that we discovered back in the early 90s. So we should jettison vendor in depth and best of breed because those aren't as important anymore. The best practice that everybody should be pursuing is buy vendors who integrate for you so you can concentrate your people on really important stuff. So when you started talking about the vendor in, de- in depth, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing I thought of was defense in depth. Yeah. And then you got to it. The cyber kill chain, I've heard before, a very interesting concept. Uh, it, it's this idea as well that if you are protecting at all layers, that the hopping from network to network to network. So if you get in through a phishing attack, they can't get the crown jewels because that's protected each layer. But I, I think, as you pointed out, that that becomes even more challenging. So what's the deal with orchestrated automation? Again, I hear automation a whole lot. Why did people decide that was too difficult? Well, it's too difficult to do it with 200 tools, right? Because in my experience, uh, you buy a point product. We call these things point products, all right, because, because of the lack of integration. And you buy those things four times, all right? You buy the box. You got to buy someone who can manage the box, you know, keep the blinky lights going. You got to buy someone who can understand the data coming off the box. And then you need a fourth person back in the security operations center who ties all the data from all the tools together into some coherent 
adversary picture. And, you know, it just is hard to do with the small staffs we have. The evolution has been to the cyber platform. Describe how that works a little bit more. If, if I'm an agency and I'm listening to this and I don't really get what, another platform, I have a cloud platform, right, I have right. a data platform, I have a virtualization platform. What's another cyber? What, what do you mean by cyber platform? Well, let's talk about that. If you were going to invent a magic box, okay, that does uh, prevention for your entire or- organization, you know, you have to come up with some goals of what a box like that should do, okay? And so the first thing it should do is it should be everywhere, all right? If wherever you buy, okay, it needs to be able behind your perimeter, needs to be on your endpoints. It needs to have visibility in your data centers, and it needs to have visibility in whatever cloud deployments you have, both SaaS applications and any other kind of applications you have. So it has to have complete visibility. The second thing it would need to do is reduce the attack surface. Make it really hard for if a bad, if a bad guy tries to leverage any weakness in your system uh, to go anywhere else he shouldn't go. So, you know, a rule like, you know, the marketing department shouldn't have access to the code base and vice versa, right? So ways to reduce those kinds of things. The third thing a box should do is, you know, prevent all known adversary attacks. If you think about the kill chain idea, What's interesting about that is uh, adversaries have offensive playbooks that they run. Defenders have defensive playbooks that we run also, right? How do you respond to an incident, all those things? So we don't have to invent it on the fly. Adversaries do the same thing. They don't invent an attack for each new victim. They're going to pull the playbook out and say, okay, step one is this, step two is that, step three is that. What's interesting is that the entire community, we know most of the adversary playbooks, about 99%. Yes, there's new new adversaries out there inventing new playbooks all the time, but that's not what I'm talking about. The ones that they run every day because we haven't nope, not everybody has figured out how to stop them. We know most of those things. So this platform, this magic box that we build, needs to be able to prevent all known bad guy attacks. And then finally, the fourth thing is discover new attacks quickly and convert them into known attacks so we can prevent them. All right. So that is what you're looking for. And what's interesting about that is in a security vendor space, the thing, the, the instrument that is available to do that is the firewall. Not just Palo Alto Networks firewall, any firewall is in the right position to do this because it's in your perimeter, it's in your cloud deployments, it's in your data center. So that's the place that these platforms have evolved to. I want to go back to one thing. When you talk about the playbooks, it's a, it's a fascinating concept. And is this why, when we look back over the last couple of months, something like the WannaCry ransomware was successful? Because someone said, oh, there's a vulnerability that probably hasn't been patched. We, we, we send this malware out there, Windows XP, somebody will click on it, and then therefore we'll get act, we'll, we'll block up their computer and force them to pay us. Is that that typical? Is that is that a playbook type of? Yeah, that's exactly. The adversary had a couple of things in their playbook, which is unique a little bit. Uh, they took advantage of network defenders like me not doing the things that we know we're supposed to do if the, the, the weaknesses that those guys leveraged, that adversary leveraged, were taking advantage of things we knew how to block back in 2004, right? And, and there's a host of other ones that we know about, and that's why the patching piece, and let's circle back around the federal agencies for a second, mm-hmm. that's why when Tony Scott, the former federal CIO, and OMB really pressed on the cyber sprint was to get patching done within 30 days or, or less. And when the WannaCry happened, that effort, among other ones, seemed to have paid off. And, and it's, it seems so simple, right? Patch your network. It does seem simple, but really hard to do because most networks are really complex. But let me help the, the listeners simplify it a bit. It's not that you have to patch everything, okay, because there's lots of stuff out there that, you know, if it gets hit by a ransomware attack, it's probably not that big of a deal to you. 
What you should be focusing on is anything that is material to your organization. In the commercial space, that's things that can impact the bottom line. In the government space, it could be lots of things like sensitive data and things like that. But you need to identify those and work on the reduction of patch times for those systems first. Get that down to uh, 30 days, to days, to minutes is what that should be. And then worry about all the other stuff later. I think that's the key, right? It's understanding your high-value assets yep. and then making sure those are, are protected the best. One thing that when we talk about cloud came up, and, and cloud offers a whole new set of not just challenges, but opportunities for sure. security. Does this platform we're talking about fit best in a cloud environment versus trying to do it in your data center that, as you said, could, could be filled with legacy systems, new systems, and you're not even sure your inventory? Yeah, I think so. And, and it's a chance to change. Okay, it's a chance. If you are using legacy uh, processes now and you're looking for an excuse to change, as you move to the cloud, and I know government folks are reluctant to do that, but you are moving. We've seen since, uh, you know, we see people doing that. If you are not changing your process as we do this now, you are already late to the game, all right? So the thing you should be seeking, though, are vendors who have security solutions in the cloud that are identical to the ones that you used back in the old days in the perimeter and your data centers. It should be a, a seamless fit. Uh, and there is technology out there to do it. We have it. Other, other security vendors have it, too. But the thing you were mentioning, though, which I thought was fascinating, is this whole idea of a philosophy called DevOps. Are you familiar with that? Sure. Agile, iterative development, modular contracting. Uh, I remember writing about it in the late 90s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it is it certainly merged now as a, it's a different thing to think about, right? And I've talked to a lot of organizations, both government and commercial, this past year. They all say they have DevOps teams, but they don't really understand what DevOps is. They think that if they're moving their apps to the cloud, that it's DevOps, and that's not it at all, all right? Uh, it is really uh, understanding the development of your applications as a system of systems. In the old ways, we used to do this in the waterfall model and all that. You know, uh, code. somebody would have an idea, we'd, someone would build a proof of concept, the quality control guys and gals would get it, and then when they were ready, they would throw it over to the operations guys. All those are stovepipe systems, black box systems. Once the quality control guys threw it over the fence, they never thought of it again. It was just gone. So DevOps is the idea is to rapidly well, develop this stuff across all those systems, across all those black boxes, and have visibility of it so leadership can decide how fast it can go. And organizations that are doing this are hugely successful. Instead of deploying an app once every two years, they are deploying apps 10 times a day. They'll deploy the app and find, oh, I don't like that way it does that. They pull it back out, fix it, throw it back out in the same day. It's an amazing technology, all done through automation in the cloud. And I'll give you three companies who are really good at this, if you want to look it up more. Netflix, Facebook, and Salesforce, right? Netflix, they have this module called Chaos Monkey. Have you heard of this? I have, but I'm not familiar with it. So tell me real quick. So they've completely automated how they deploy code in their system so everybody can watch their movies. They're so good at it that they installed this module called Chaos Monkey, which randomly destroys pieces of their infrastructure every day. So their developers have to code their applications to survive a random destruction of some piece of uh, coding, right? That is giant, and uh, most people wouldn't do it, but it shows how good they are. Very good. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we can talk more about DevOps and how it fits into the security model. I'm Jason Miller. My guest today is Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Need to improve your time to prevent never-before-seen threats? Automation is key. 
With a rich U.S. government heritage, Palo Alto Networks understands the needs of its U.S. government customers. The federal government wants the fastest threat prevention. Network 2 Endpoint, cloud and SAAS environments. Come to Palo Alto Networks to get that prevention in as little as five minutes from the time a new threat is seen anywhere. For more on Palo Alto Networks public sector, Carasoft and their reseller partners, visit paloaltonetworks.com. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Carasoft. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, mobility, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Search Innovation in Government. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. Now, Rick, before break, we were talking about got a little bit about cloud security. We got into this idea of automation and DevOps. And one of the things I was just uh, on a panel recently with the folks from the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, and, and they are obviously the leaders in government, one of the big ones around DevOps. And uh, the panelists talked about automation. Everything is automated, you know, 99% it felt like. And uh, every time an audience member asked her question, her response was automated. We automate that. Right. That's automated. So security automation is a big piece to this. And I think that's why this DevOps approach can be so successful. Give me your take on, on where how automation fits in with DevOps. Yeah, at Palo Alto Networks, we've been uh, um, pushing that idea pretty hard for the last couple of years. So what you should be seeking is vendors who can push their uh, security controls into the cloud automatically. So not only have a virtual system that can run in the cloud, but the APIs are visible to you, to you, the network defender, so you can plug into them as you automate your processes. So as you roll out a new server that's going to run your new web application, you can automatically roll out the security services that you need around that web application using the same tools that you use back in your perimeter and back in your data center. Uh, that's the thing. You don't want to invent a new thing in the cloud. You want to be able to use what you're used to using and automatically deploy it. Now, at the same time, they're also using this automation to ensure the code is secure, meaning did you code something that has a hole in it or mm -hmm. does it have a bug? Or if you're pulling an open source, does that meet our security standards? And, and that's the other piece of why DevOps, I think, is, is finding success. Yeah, you can, build, uh, you can build that right into your framework, okay? You can build whether or not it's at the right version, whether or not it's at the right patch level. I mean, and automate all that so no human has to figure that out ever again. That's where you need to get to. The, uh, this idea of automation, it works great for DevOps. Is it going to work if you're not in the DevOps model yet or if you're just starting in the DevOps? Because I think one of the things, I, for instance, I've talked to the Homeland Security Department several times over the last few months about cybersecurity. And, and, you know, John Felker, the head of the NKIC, mm -hmm. is really talking about, you know, the uh, automated information sharing on uh, AIS program. Right. U.S. CERT is doing a lot with pushing stuff out. Uh, the Einstein program has signatures. Is this all part of this discussion that, that if agencies can take advantage of the push model versus always the pull model? Yeah, I think so. The uh, And what Network Defender should be thinking about is not, gee, DevOps is another organization off to the side that's doing work. DevOps has to percolate through the entire organization. So if you're a network defender in your organization and you don't know who the DevOps people are, you're already behind. All right, go go be familiar with their tools. Figure out how to do what you're doing on your day-to-day -day basis and get it pulled into those tools uh, and start now because uh, I believe we really do have like a five-year window 
where as people move to DevOps, uh, the companies and government organizations that get there are going to be wildly successful. The ones that try to do the same old processes that they did in the past in the cloud environments, they're going to get their lunch eaten by their competitors and by, you know, adversaries. Adversaries. Yeah. The attackers. When we talk about DevOps, you mentioned cloud, and you said there's not the same thing. DevOps, putting stuff in the cloud is not DevOps. But the cloud has, has played such a big role uh, throughout government. And when we talk about cloud, we got to talk security and FedRAMP, mm -hmm. the Federal Risk Authorization Management Program. Talk a little bit about Palo Alto's network's experience with FedRAMP. Yeah, when I go around talking to government leaders, and I find that I'm a little bit uh, concerned because many of them believe that if you are using a FedRAMP certified cloud service provider, that you don't have to worry about security anymore, that it, you're totally secure. And that is not it at all. If you read any of your service provider's uh, marketing material, you will hear them say security is a shared responsibility. When your cloud provider is FedRAMP certified, it means that they, they secure their own environments, meaning they have data centers with guards and dogs and, and cameras, and their server equipment is up to date on the latest patches. It does nothing to secure your data. So whatever you're going to do in the cloud, you have to have your own plan. Uh, and that's why we were talking about using uh, virtual firewalls and things from Palo Alto Networks and other firewall vendors that do that for you. And, and I think that's actually a great segue to this workforce conversation mm -hmm. uh, that I led off with. This idea you got to have the people with the skills in place that understand, just as you said, that this is a shared responsibility. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing from the workforce side and, and how are agencies and, and vendors kind of dealing with this workforce challenge. Well, it, it, and we were talking about this before the break, that it's well known that there's a shortage of uh, security professionals out there. Uh, Forbes magazine said there's over a million open jobs just last year. What's interesting, when you, when you think about the mix of people that do this kind of work, okay, uh, women cybersecurity professionals make up 11% of the workforce. So we have this massive shortage of cybersecurity professionals out there, and we're not hiring half of the population to do the work. So it isn't like this is a new problem. Uh, the, the whole industry knows about has known about this for five, seven years. At Palo Alto Networks, we decided to do something about it. We partnered with the Girl Scouts. Think about this. This is fantastic. I love this thing that we did. Uh, we partnered with the Girl Scouts to establish 18 merit badges for uh, education uh, K through 12 for cybersecurity and broken into two big buckets, uh, online safety and network security uh, engineering. So just think of this, over the life of their educational careers, these Girl Scouts, over two million girls, are gonna be exposed and encouraged and nurtured to be cybersecurity professionals from kindergarten up through when they get through high school. I, I, that is a way to get this going. And one of the challenges with that is exposing people to understand what is proper cyber hygiene. We talk about cyber hygiene quite often. Don't click on the link. Don't, you know, if you get an email from someone that you weren't expecting, don't open the PDF. And, and I think that's part of what you're talking about here. Yep. But then the most important part also is the, as you said, the engineering pieces is the hands-on, understanding hands -on. coding. So once you break it down, what's the two pieces of, 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 the, of these badges? Well, I mean, uh, we're just in, just beginning, okay? So, in fact, we're putting the coalition together that's going to help build the curriculum. And, and by the way, the Girl Scouts are phenomenal at this. The way they roll out new instructional material to their Girl Scouts is phenomenal. So what we're going to do is plug into that apparatus, build the content for all those grades, and get it out. You're right about online hygiene, and so that'll be definitely part of it. But there's so much evidence that shows um, women and minorities as they go through high school start to lose interest in the STEM categories. There's lots of reasons for this. A male-dominated culture is one. 
uh, we tend to push women into the traditional, I'm using air quotes here, uh, women's roles, right? So, and by the time they get to college, their interest has dropped off significantly from the STEM subjects. So the idea with the Girl Scouts program is to keep them invigorated in friendly, in, in, in nurturing environments, all right? So they will stay interested and come work for us when they're ready. All right, that's a fascinating. I'm sure uh, that we'll see a lot more of that, as you said, as this rolls out. Rick, we're almost out of time, so let's let's always like to leave us off with the future. What's your crystal ball look like? Oh, yeah. Talk a little bit about where we're heading. As we, we've talked about a lot of different things, cloud platform, uh, automation, orchestration, and we talked about obviously workforce. Where are we going in the future? Here's the thing that's coming down the pipe, and it's, you're going to see this like very shortly. Uh, if you think about just firewalls in general, not just Palo Alto Networks, but everybody's. If you just kind of ask or uh, abstract it up to the, what it e- essentially is, it does three things. It's a giant intelligence collection engine. It finds, you know, watches traffic, uh, telemetry, and looks for bad things. It processes that intelligence looking for bad things. And once it th- finds bad things, it enforces a, a, a prevention point. So it's a collection engine, it's a processing engine, and it's an enforcement point. What all the firewall vendors have been doing the last five years is moving the processing piece and the delivery of enforcement up to the cloud. There's lots of reasons for this, but the main one is the cloud gives vendors pretty much infinite processing power and infinite storage space, which they wouldn't have on the firewall per se. So most of that processing and applications are being run in the cloud somewhere and using the actual infrastructure deployed to enforce the decisions. So we've been doing that for about five years at Palo Alto Networks uh, with various applications. What we announced this year, and we'll see all the firewall vendors do this, I believe, is opening it up to third parties, right? What that means is another uh, security vendor, instead of having to build their own box, convincing me, somebody like me, to deploy it everywhere in my network, all right, and then try to put some people on to see if it works right, right, and then maybe buy it down the line, all they're gonna do is software build an application for the Palo Alto Network Security App Store, right, and then Vend- our customers will just sit in there uh, looking at the app store and say, oh, I want to try that thing. Let me just turn it on. They can try it for a couple of days. If they like it, they'll leave it on. If they don't like it, they just turn it off. I think this completely disrupts the cybersecurity consumption model. We talked at the very beginning of this, Jason, about how hard it is to deploy new technology. We already have 250 tools deployed, don't have enough people to manage them. If you're going to use the same infrastructure, to manage new tools that makes that instead of this, I call that dance, you know, uh, the, the security vendor mambo because it takes so long and it has to be exquisitely precise to get it right. We're going to reduce that mambo down to a a flipping of the switch is either going to be on or it's off. I think it's the future of the industry. Now help me understand this because you hear App Store, you think, oh, iTunes, Google Play, yeah. 99 cents, I'm good to go. Yeah. It may not be 99 cents, but is it going to be that easy where you just you hook it to your network because it's in the cloud? Yeah, it's that next step in automatic orchestration. Vendors will tie their new idea into our infrastructure, right? And when they'll look at the data and they say, oh, that's a bad guy thing. Let me enforce it somewhere on the platform that has multiple places it can block in that. Yes, it's, essent- it's as simple as flipping it on like your iPhone. It's an Angry Bird cybersecurity uh, app for you. <laughs> per- perfect analogy. Uh, timing on this, is it launched? Is it going to be launched? The idea was announced this summer. Uh, you start to see the first app show up this fall, right? And I, but I expect all the firewall vendors will do something similar. Very well. Uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, Rick. This has been a great conversation. I'd like to thank my guest, Rick Howard, the Chief Security Officer for Palo Alto Networks. Rick, thank you very much for taking the time today. Thank you, Jason. It was fun. You've been listening to the discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search innovation. 
Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at Federal News Radio, keyword innovation. 